away from you. Yeah. Like that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I can tell you an intro by myself, maybe. Sure. Sorry. Okay. Okay, so okay. everybody who's listening or who will listen to this, this is Andre. Andre, go. So, hello, everybody. I'm Andre. I'm happy to be here. Podcast. I don't <laughs> know the name yet. Anything and everything. Anything and everything. There yeah. we go. This is first session, I believe, right? Yeah, this is the first session I'm recording. Okay. So, we're going to have fun tonight. My name is Andre, and um, I was born in Costa Rica, and I am a rising senior uh, at Illinois Tech and a venture capital analyst at Decasonic, which is a blockchain-focused investment firm here in Chicago. Um, I also work at Illinois Tech's Student Entrepreneurship Center called the Kaplan Institute, where um, we're looking to support students who are looking to break into venture capital through directed programming and just promoting industry experiences for them. Um, so it's been a lot of fun. That's what I do for my career. Uh, as for my personal life, I love MMA, and I do MMA pretty much three times, three times a week, approximately. And I love going to the movies on Saturdays, movies alone, of course, as, as it should be. And uh, and yeah, that's that's a small intro of like who I am and what I do. Okay, so the the love for MMA between me and Andre is is. What's the word that I'm looking for? Not consensual. Um, mutual. Uh, mutual. <laughs> yeah, the love is mutual. Um, so what you do? You you're just doing kickboxing right now, right? Uh, so it's it's a, an interesting mixture because right now we have um, they started teaching me boxing techniques. Okay. Uh, so like the the drills, pretty much. Um, then they added in a little bit of kicks and defenses, and that's more into kickboxing. Mm -hmm. Uh, but also, like, the second half of every class is just wrestling. Um, so for now, it's just full-on wrestling. I know that uh, once I'm there, like, for five months, I I will probably start switching into judo a little bit more, and they add a little bit of um, jiu-jitsu mm. as well. Um, but yeah, so I started in this academy at the beginning of summer. Um, my previous experience, I had a black belt in taekwondo. Um, and so that's that's a different type of martial art. And when you go into MMA, like from a Taekwondo background, like you get mauled, you get more. Yes. But at <laughs> the same time, you get like you got your own style of doing things. Sure. And everyone there has got like doing it so differently, mm -hmm. um, which hey, might, might be a bigger life lesson, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> you just got to play to your strengths. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, and that's. Does everybody there have some sort of martial arts training before they came there? So some of them do, others don't. Most of the guys that I've seen are like big guys, like you know what I'm saying, like yeah. heavyweight category, of course. Yeah. And they have a background in wrestling. Okay. So when I have to pummel with them, when I have to actually like, when I have to get with them, like <laughs> doing takedowns, and like I can take them down if I if I do the technique properly, but for them it's just easy their strength because they're big mm -hmm. and they spare no expense they literally just toss me up like i'm a ragdoll ragdoll bro it's just, <laughs> it's so, just i'm just thrown around <laughs> do you also like complement your uh, martial arts training with i don't know weightlifting calisthenics or something like that or uh, so no? right now i'm working two part-time jobs so it, it's I tough really <laughs> complement uh but mostly Mostly for them, it's just cardio and jump rope, I see. Um, push ups. 
but I know that complementing it with something yeah. like that would be good. Mm. Just got no time. Interesting. Yeah. So, okay, so let's talk about your jobs, bro, because that's why I <laughs> that's why I brought you here, right? Okay. Um. So those of who don't know Andre, he's fucking big in, big in crypto. He, uh, he lives, breeds. Um and uh, what's the third thing that 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 comes? He lives and breeds crypto. Let's You're just le- leave it at that. Maybe buys. <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> um. So, bro. Okay. Tell me this. We also had like chat about this the other day. You, me, and Doug. When you were like um explaining NFTs to me. So yeah. how about we go back there one more time? We start with NFTs and then we you know go deep and whatever comes our way. What are NFTs? Let's let's start there. Okay, so I think in order to first define what an NFT is, uh, you have to you have to define what the blockchain is. Okay. Okay. And so a lot of people, I know that for them, blockchain might be this word that's like up in the clouds. They don't really understand it. Um, and the way I've tried to understand it is just imagining an Excel spreadsheet that everyone has access to. Everyone has a copy of, and there are individuals that we call miners that are making sure <laughs> that every single copy of the spreadsheet matches so that we're all agreeing mm. that every single data point there is facts. Okay. Right? And so this is what the miners do and they have different ways of doing it and they do it um, through solving an encryption algorithm Some blockchains use the SHA-56 one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ethereum uses a different one. I don't exactly remember the name. Um, but through that, they can. you then have this shared, da- like validated, shared, scalable um, data structure. Uh, that is the blockchain. Okay. And so we started with the Bitcoin blockchain. Of course, you can look at its drawbacks. Super energy inefficient. It's horrible for the environment. Literally consumes as much electric power as like the country of Norway. Really? Yes, that's, that's crazy facts. Like the whole Bitcoin network, it's consuming that much electricity. So let's say the bit. How many computers or systems are there on the Bitcoin network? Do you know, do we know that? Oh, I don't know. Billions or millions? I would go into I would go into millions. Okay. Go into okay. but it, it was like a craze. Everyone trying to mine. Everyone yeah, trying to yeah. make passive income, of mm. course. Um, So that's that's what happened with with Bitcoin. It was initially built as a transactions network um, for people to send money internationally, because you do have to pay some hefty fees. And sending money abroad is like the lifeblood for a lot of people yeah. in different countries in the world. Been there, done that. Yeah, same, same. Yeah, so it's um, you definitely feel the pain point, but at the same time, um, Bitcoin then became something else, mm. just because of the way it was structured, the fact that it can only do. Three to seven transactions per second. It's, it's super slow. It's too slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's too slow, and it's not a scalable chain because it's one chain. It's only one cross-validated database. You only have one blockchain. Uh, but then we have Ethereum by this guy called Vitalik Buterin. He was one of the co-founders of Ethereum. Mm-hmm. Widely credited with coming up with the idea, and Ethereum is one of the one of the blockchains that well, the first blockchain that decided to integrate functionality into this database. So he said, what if we could integrate smart code, automations, functions, Mm -hmm. into into this data structure? What if we could use smart code to interact with this structure that is called a blockchain and to store value there and to 
and to interact with it. Also, in, you know, calling calling data from it and writing data from it. Right? Okay. Right. Uh, that's what's known as a smart contract. Okay. And so, as as he was developing Ethereum, he thought about different standards, um, different like he's a vision visionary, of course. Sure. Uh, coming up with the, the concept of tokens, coming up with the to concept of non-fungible tokens, and now the non-transferable tokens, which are like, it's, this is more like down along in the pipeline, I know that a lot of people in the crypto ecosystem are super excited about okay. uh, non-transferable tokens. So I'll walk you through all of them. There's um, the regular token, which is the fungible one, and that's where the F in NFT comes from. Because mm -hmm. um, <laughs> fungible means basically, think about it like a dollar. Um, if you have a dollar there and I have a dollar here, um, we can exchange them and nobody gains anything. It's zero sum. Like you, we just exchanged a dollar, and your dollar is the same as my dollar. Okay. So that's that's the concept of fungibility. So uh, these but, tokens are the same. But we exchange dollars. So what do you mean by there's no exchange of value when you say about? You it's know. it's because they're all worth the same and they're all equal. Yeah. Okay, so you're saying like, let's say, but all the dollars are not equal, right? We have like a $100 bill, we have a $20 bill. Right, so it has to be, so if you have a $100 bill and I have a $100 bill, yeah, we don't really benefit from exchanging that. You okay. Know? okay, yeah, because like at the end of the day, we both have $100 even if we exchange it. Exactly, they have the same value. Okay. And so, but the concept of fungibility means that you could have a lot of different copies of something that has the same value. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're all interchangeable. And so that's what he called the ERC-20. Okay, say, say that line again. Which the concept one? of fungibility is? Yeah, the, the concept of fungibility is the fact that you have a large number of tokens that are indistinguishable from each other. Okay. And they have the same value. Okay, so yeah. all the, let's say, all the Bose headphones of, or, or all, all the MacBook Pros, they're all fungible because they're all the same. Their specs well, are same. If if they're if they're being sold and they're new and they're all sold at the <coughs> same price, because okay. if they're used, then you you get into those. Okay, differences. so a yeah. better example would be the chairs that are lying around in the studio right now. Yeah, well, honestly, um, they're probably worth the same. Yeah. Yeah, right. Let's say all. Wouldn't be my best example. My best example would be the dollar. Okay. If you think about it, the, just just the dollar, like one for one, it's it's the same. Okay. So, so yeah, that's fungibility. But then we go into non-fungibility, which means, okay, what happens when um, you don't have the same value? Hmm. When one token is worth more than another, just because of the token itself. So that's what they call the ERC721 protocol. And this is, ERC stands for Ethereum Request for Comment. Mm -hmm. And it's basically a smart contract, a function, that interacts with the Ethereum blockchain and it wants to write uh, the characteristics of this digital token. Mm -hmm. So what characteristics? We think about uh, the limited supply, which is really, really important to look at. Um, you look at the minting mechanism, which is like, can you create new tokens in the future? And how many and at what rate? Mm. Uh, you look at the burning mechanism, which is, okay, if you can create tokens, you can destroy them. Um, and a lot of different protocols are, have really poor token design. Uh, and, and you can look at different examples. You can look at Axie Infinity, for example, which is a, um, a decentralized gaming platform. And it's, they, they had a horrible hack a couple of days ago and their, their token was just not designed properly. Mm. Um, so I'm currently working on actually a thesis on that, 
on at the Casonic we're working at, understanding what good token design looks like. Okay. And so, so yeah, there's there's the creation of the token, which is called minting. Yeah. And then there's the bur the burning of the token, destruction. Destruction. Call it burn. Okay. Um. So you want to have those balancing forces playing a balancing act so that the prices don't explode or drop. Right. You, you want to have that kind of stability. Uh, think about it as supply and demand. Supply and demand and security. Yeah. Yeah, right. That's, that's kind of the concept there. Mm. Um, and so you can code all those uh, and the initial price for the token. So you can code all of that into the ERC protocol mm -hmm. and write that into the blockchain and okay. give wallets the ability to purchase or transfer those mm -hmm. tokens. And so the, you, you have this concept of interoperability with like the fact that you have the ERC20 protocol, it means that anyone who's building an exchange platform, yeah. for example, you want to build something like Coinbase, Coinbase, or you want to build something like OpenSea yeah. to um, mint new NFTs, right? They are all calling the same function, the ERC721 for the NFTs. And since they're, they're all built with the same building blocks, you can exchange them on the platform mm. and it just really... It okay. <laughs> so... Uh, but yeah, so the NFT explores the concept of what if they all had different value. And it gets interesting and it also gets to a lot of speculation where people are trying to just create projects for, for the sole purpose of profiting from the project. Yeah. Right? Um, but not in, not in the sense that someone would create content, like you would create a podcast, expecting to get some views, right? Yeah. Like, but like what they're doing is like, okay, I'm going to create this... Um, this ugly image, because let's be honest, they're ugly. A lot of them are ugly. And you create this ugly image and you're like, okay, I'm going to get in on the hype and I'm basically going to put together a community on Discord. I'm going to get a lot of people excited about this and like the lore and the story behind this ugly ass image. And, and then what happens? Like you, you start with a floor price. The more people are interested, since you have a limited supply, your price is going to go up. Go up. And then, since you own, the since you own the equity in that NFT project, then your equity just goes up, and then you're making money from that. Mm -hmm. But then comes the, the point where you have to really know when to sell, um, when to sell. And so, what a lot of a lot of what's happening these days is just the rug pulling, uh, which is basically the concept of putting together an NFT. You create a Discord community around it. You get people super excited and pumping up the price because yeah. if everyone buys in, they can increase the price because there's limited sure. quantity. Um, and after they do that, a select group of people can say, okay, we're going to sell everything we have. And the people who invested last, they're the suckers. <laughs> and so of course. That's, that's what's called a rug pool. And, and so they build, this, they build this project and then they sell everything like... That. instantly and then they make their money quick and the people that thought it was actually going to be a long-term project mm -hmm. it was actually going to be something that generated value yeah the people that actually invested expecting a return they get fucked over so now i have a question for you and so you what what are the like you talked about equities and nfts right um yes. so what the what what does it look like does let's say you minted an NFT, you have your eight bit or ugly ass picture of yourself uh, <laughs> on an NFT. So and I I buy that NFT, let's say on OpenSea. So 
is it like the usual you know piece of art and it has like copyright rights and ownership rights or it it's all it's all equity how does that do you, do you understand what i'm trying to say mm, yeah I, i think i do uh, i'm gonna try it so i'll try and give you an answer okay and see if that's exactly what you were asking sure um so you think about intellectual property with nfts it's it's complicated mm -hmm. because anyone can screenshot anyone can screenshot your ugly picture yeah but um i believe a lot of what the people in the ecosystem say is that the value is coming from everyone with the shared excel spreadsheet per se the blockchain, right? blockchain yeah. everyone has the same registry that 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 picture belongs to you and so it it, it comes from that concept of we all agree on the fact that Rashab owns this ugly ass picture. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> because it's in the blockchain and everybody can yeah. just like cross check. Yeah, and everyone anyone and anyone can cross check. Yeah. Um so I believe that's where the rights come in mm -hmm. and that's how they're enforcing rights. Uh but since it's a new space, I wouldn't even think about it in terms of the traditional intellectual property framework we have. I know that in the future moving forward there needs to be a new a, new a revised version yeah that emerges and recognizes that okay we have digital assets it's a, it's a thing mm -hmm. but digital the fact that they're digital means people can copy them and screenshot them and download them and for free and it doesn't really make any difference so um you I believe that's for that's for the government to figure out mm. as well like maybe there's a new type of patent you can have maybe a new type of copyright on digital assets you have to explore that mm -hmm. but it's definitely an interesting space like nfts nft investment blew up 12000% sure. from 2020 to 2021 this is the intern in you coming out with numbers right uh, now <laughs> getting you the number the analyst is coming out um, <laughs> but yeah it's definitely an, an interesting market i think with trading volumes around 2021 if i'm not getting this wrong it's like 50 something billion of of tra trading volume 15 billion 50 billion dollars um around that Jesus. Trading, trading value yeah and you see big brands getting in too so um i'm very i'm critical of the nft space because of the rug pulls because of the scams because mm -hmm. of the people that just have ugly projects and yeah. they just want to extract value it's it's a value extract there it's not a value creation mm -hmm. and when you see that you, you know that that's not a healthy yeah ecosystem and need, change needs to happen so um that's what i that's what i've seen from from that regard i minted my first nft uh in november 2021 um being a physicist i created it on the speed of light um i guess i thought you know like if everyone's like putting stupid shit on the blockchain and owning it yeah. right what if i own the speed of light limited edition there's only one of them um so and you see that that naive kind of thinking that i had and i'll, I'll call myself out on it uh <laughs> that naive kind of thinking i had like hey someone might buy this you know at the price of the speed of light 299.3 something dollars like Jesus. bro this is Some people were thinking like that. That's what I'm saying. Like you think about a project called like CryptoKitties, like what the fuck? CryptoKitties? Look, yeah, you can look it up. CryptoKitties. What does it tell me? It's literally a group of NFTs of kitties. Just cats. Like Hello Cats or just cats? It's just cats. Like animated cats, like yeah. drawn cats. Yeah. 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 Jesus. The Kittyverse. Um it's it, it's ridiculous. It's sometimes ridiculous. You think about the bored apes, that one is the one I'm like because now now they're they're pivoting yeah. they're they're expanding their their offering now they have the 
Well, they always had the Board Ape Yacht Club, right? Yeah. And now they're releasing a fungible token okay. called the Ape Coin. Ape, okay. Yeah, so they're, they're going to use that, um, I believe, to have like a governance structure um, moving forward. So let's say if we want to get abstract about the fungible token example, is Bitcoin a fungible token? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so ApeCoin would be something like fungible. Bitcoin. Yeah, Okay. ApeCoin is fungible, but the individual Ape that someone might buy for hundreds of thousands of dollars, that's a non-fungible token because it's a unique type of Ape. Yeah. And it in the blockchain, it has a particular signature of why that is unique to it. Of it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And th that's that's the main difference. Like when you, when you look at the back end uh, of the actual token, mm -hmm. fungible tokens have same signature. Mm -hmm. Non-fungible tokens have a unique signature. Of course. And that's you can think about it that way. Okay. Um, so that's what we saw with NFTs. A lot of potential there. Uh, and there's been talks of non-transferable tokens, which are the NTTs. Okay. We'll get that in a second. We'll get that in a second. Yeah. Um, do you remember the because we talked about scam and how the space has this thing of rug pulling going on right now. Do you remember this, uh, the thing that Lana Rhodes did? Did you follow that? I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I follow. So I, even I'm not sure like if I'm getting this 100% right, but what, what happens is she released her NFT, which was e either a, for, a, for, um, a photo of her or a nude photo of her, um, mm. built the hype around it and uh, like, oh, this is going to be the next big thing. And it's, it's not just a picture. We'll give you perks, we'll give you some sorts of additional, you know, uh, owners, uh, like equity benefits, sort of, like ownership benefits. And then she just fucked off with the money. Yeah, that's pretty. That's a rug pull right there. Mm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sounds to me like a rug pull. I'd have to look into it, but yeah, yeah. absolutely sounds like a rug pull. <laughs> okay, so this is the scam that you're talking about. Okay, interesting. And, and people are running away with millions of dollars. Sure. There's no regulation around it. Did you see the the maybe this is a this is not like a validated news, but the guy who bought Jack Dorsey's first tweet lost all of his money. That's not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> what? Why is not surprising? Is it? It's a it's a historical moment, but um, I, I believe there were two sales of it. Okay. To, to what I recall, like there was like a lower ticket one, and there was like a, a really expensive resale. Yeah. That went on. Okay. So I think there was a sucker that really paid a lot more yeah. on the second resale. I think the first, the first sale was. I think the f the first one maybe would be two fifty k or something like that. That sounds reasonable to me. And the guy well, who lost all of its money or who I read about, I think it was something around nine or eight point nine million dollars. Exactly. So he, that's there's there's a certain diligence you have to do when looking at these things and trying to figure out like what actual value they have. Uh -huh. Like any hint that you might have works because in this space, like it's so, it's so new, it's, it's like the Wild West mixed with like a fire hose of information. And this is what my fund manager always says, like uh, learning Web3, learning things about blockchain is like putting your mouth directly to a fire hose hmm. and hoping for the best. <laughs> and so I really love that analogy because that's how it's felt for me. Yeah. Like this past year, it's just, there's so much info and there's still so much that I don't know. And sure. So you have that, yeah. Um, so a lot, a lot of, a lot of rug pulling, and so how do you then? How do you trust sources? Let's say you're re researching about your thesis, right? The thesis that you're writing with your fund manager yeah. and and at your internship. So, what kind of resources or sources you weigh while doing the research, and which ones do you trust? Which one do you don't trust? 
So there's a spectrum, of course. Sure. Um, you definitely want to go for recognized um, publishers as mm -hmm. well, because and then there are a couple out there. Like you can look at TechCrunch articles, you can look at Decrypt, you can look at the Block, you can look at CoinDesk, uh, CoinFlip, uh, Coin Telegraph, like uh, all the coins, right? Yeah. Um, and they all publish everything, right? Um, so that's that's one data source. Another data source is just market insights uh, that come from open sourced analytics projects that are looking at the data on the blockchain. And the blockchain is this open source yeah. database. So anyone can build a scraper and just get the data they want and put together a, a real-time dashboard. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing the emergence of these. And I'll give you the example of uh, DeepDAO, which is looking at um, all the Deep different... DeepDAO. DeepDAO. So deep D A O, D E E P, D A O. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. That's what I'm going. And so they're they're this open source analytics dashboard uh, that's letting you understand how many decentralized communities are being formed and how much money they've fundraised, like tracking that in real time. And so um, it's interesting, right? And then there's uh, there's another one called I think it was. The CoinFlip terminal. CoinFlip terminal? I'm not sure if it's CoinFlip, but it, it is a terminal, and it looks a lot like a Bloomberg terminal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like with all the graphs and all the different numbers and indices. Yeah. Um, and that's also for decentralized um, organizations, which okay. are a whole new other topic okay. um, that I spend a lot of time in during yeah. my internship. Um, but, but yeah, that's... Okay. Sources. And then there's the third source, and that's more like putting your mouth to the fire hose. Um, that's looking at Twitter. And I know that that sounded horrible, right? But, but I think if you can get good references from recognized investors, recognized founders in yeah. Twitter, they're super active yeah. on Twitter. So you can get some interesting stuff there. Who's like one of the, or I don't know, a few big ones, a few big investors or a few big personalities in the Twitter space around like NFTs and crypto? Okay, so you've got to look at the different there's different types. Okay. Uh, so you think about institutional investors. Um, you think about Andres and Horowitz. They're like super big with their media effort. They're pretty much a media company at mm -hmm. this point. Uh, but they're a legendary investment firm um, that invested early on in Airbnb, I believe. Uh, oh, you're other talking big about hits. Uh, Anderson and Horowitz, the bald guy? Yeah, the bald guy. Okay, yeah, he was also on Joe Rogan. <laughs> he was? Oh, yeah. There you go. You know, yeah. Andres and uh, I think that's more You'll enjoy that episode. Look, look that up. Yeah, yeah. Just send me the link. I'll yeah, check yeah. it out. Okay. Um, but yeah, so A16C, it's it's really prominent there, and there's different investment partners okay. from A16C that are super active in the space. Uh, the one that I really follow is called Chris Dixon. Mm -hmm. um, he's like leading the effort, and and recent Horowitz like recently announced like a 4.5 billion dollar blockchain fund. Jesus. And that's that's unprecedented for blockchain investing. That's $4.5 billion. That's, mm. that's a huge And fund. a huge fund with all the resources. Dedicated for that. And A16C provides like a lot more than just funds because mm -hmm. um, they, they changed how traditional venture capital was being done. They decided um, they were going to have this model where they were servicing their founders instead of just giving them money. What do you mean servicing? So let's say you have a project, an idea, okay. right? And you come to me and you want help, right? And I say, okay, bro, I'll give you $100 for 10%. Okay. And let's say I do that and I invest mm -hmm. in 
and something a lot like an angel investor would do, right? Um, I give you that money, and then that could be the value that I provided you with. And now you just gotta deal with me because I gave you that money. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I could be even more proactive about it and be like, bro, listen, like I'll give you these hundred dollars, but I can also help you with marketing. I can also help you building your brand. I can help you with legal services. I can help you setting up your legal entity. Mm. I can help you um, build an audience. I can help you with hiring, yeah. which is a huge problem for sure. startups. Mm -hmm. um, and so they really disrupted traditional venture with that model. Now every VC tries to be what they call a value add investor. Yeah. Um, and they say that they add value, but some of them don't. You know, and if you look at the stats and the analysts coming out again, yeah. um, three out of four founders are not satisfied with, with the, the VC. value added. Yeah. Okay. And a big percentage also think that like that the VC that invested in their project that's not really knowledgeable about the space. So they're just throwing money, money at it. So, but yeah, that's the long answer to the type of investor, like interesting personalities in the Twitter space. Uh, there's like NFT enthusiasts that got rich at the beginning, and then they became like experts, like subject matter experts in NFTs because they started at the beginning. Uh, there's one that I follow called Corey.eth, and with them you see that they have like ugly profile pictures and it's their nft that yeah. they bought like a crypto punk as an nft oh i, I saw like uh i think twitter now sort of like allows yes. that either they link it to coins uh coinbase or something or OpenSea, and you can like mm -hmm. have the nft profile picture i i definitely want to check that out i'm not big on buying nft profile pictures just because they're too it's, it's too overpriced mm -hmm. and it's honestly like they're ugly yeah um so <laughs> So yeah, there's Corey.eth, this one that I really, that I really enjoy following. Mm -hmm. um, and I would have to look at my like my Twitter feed. Like there's a lot of, because they have weird names. That that's oh, sure. what I'm saying. Like sure. they don't. It's it's not like the normal internet personality that has like their full name mm -hmm. <laughs> and a blue check mark. It's more of like a guy that's called like six five two seven one blue check mark, and he's got like a crypto punk in there, and he's like super active, and he always has like contrarian takes, and like bro. Listen, like that's his brand, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's an anonymous brand, and mm -hmm. it, that speaks to the culture of blockchain and Web three, where anonymity and data privacy takes center mm. center spot. Mm. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah. like we were talking about this like earlier off air too, and again, if anybody's listening this closely, they'll understand that you're not a massive fan of the application of art with NFTs, um, like the NFT technology and art, such as like the bunny, I'm sorry, the board ape and whatever. I'm not a fan of scams. I do think there is a place for art in NFTs though. Okay. But the scams is just ridiculous. Like something needs to be done about it. Mm. You know? And there, there needs to be standards set. Um, and that's the common trope with crypto. Like. Listen, there's a lot of rules that need to be set, a lot of standards that needs to be set because we can't assume everyone's a good player. But know, then a good actor. But then doesn't this sort of like tackles the talks of decentralization because crypto, Bitcoin, NFTs are sort of like a part of decentralization moment uh, movement. And when you sort of like add regulations mm -hmm. and somebody to oversee the you know governance yeah. of sorts, 
doesn't that just tackles the basic ideology of the of the product that's why it's it's challenging to navigate the regulations like cause it's a space that thrives on not being regulated and being like free in that regard uh, but at the same time i believe the own platforms the platforms that are allowing people to publish and sell nfts they can they can go a long way just setting standards mm. for behavior or incentivizing good behavior and punishing bad behavior and that can be done through token offers as well like if you behave properly you can be rewarded and that's an interesting incentive model that just pops up now that you can transfer tokens so easily and mm. without fees well ideally without fees and you were talking fees and you told me about one of the blockchains that has this where they they have minimal fees about for every transaction right that's that's the value proposition for pretty much any new layer one blockchain that's come about okay uh, we're faster and we're more scalable and you can implement smart code mm. so that's that's their value proposition if they can and and we're secure and so um they have they have this triangle of security scalability and i think it was interoperability if i'm not getting it wrong and interoperability is how you can add the blockchain to your uh product so make it more functional kind of thing right yeah okay yeah and so it's this triangle because not every single chain can have all three pretty much it's like the impossible trio okay uh, but i would have to check again if it is interoperability okay. uh, but i was reading about this uh, a couple days ago um so there are blockchains that rely a lot on the security side oh no it was speed oh there was speed speed yeah just transaction speed okay. so if you think about a blockchain that is super secure uh like bitcoin mm. bitcoin network due to its algorithm due to the fact that it's using as much electricity of nor as norway in a year like <laughs> that's a lot shit. it's super it's super secure mm. because it is validating every single new transaction block through encryption algorithm and the difficulty of validating these blocks goes up proportional to the amount of people that are trying to mine or validate these data points mm. the miners right so you have this proportional relationship that's just how bitcoin was built and that means that it gets increasingly so you get diminishing return returns pretty much for your computing power you need to always have the most powerful computing power mm. the, the most powerful like computing mining rigs pretty much you, you need to and so that's that's where you saw the the rise of application specific integrated circuits that's the, the asic miners uh which are just electrical <coughs> I'm sorry they're just circuits that are built to process this algorithm the SHA-256 they're just built to do it efficiently um the, as efficiently as possible mm. but the, the problem with this and with mining and I I got into crypto because I wanted to do mining because I was like listen like as as anyone probably who got drawn into the space in the last couple of years they wanted to make money and they didn't want to put in the work for it. Mm. And that's, you know, that's That was you. That was me and it's something to watch out for because you know that now I know that if you really want something of value you need to work for you it. You need to work for every it every single time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So and and well you see it when you're trying to buy a miner. Like you got to have your savings and you got to buy let's say the ant miner S9 to to mine bitcoin, right? And so you get it. Um and it also like your profitability is going to vary 
It, it depends on the price of electricity sure. in the region right? mm. and where you are. If you get in access to industrial rates or if you get access to residential rates, like that changes a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot of your bottom line, it, it, just, it, it can eat it up, the electricity. And if you bought a miner that is old, then as more miners are hopping in the network with better specs, with better specs, then you're earning less. Mm. And so it's for me, it became a hard sell at, at some point when you have to save up forty thousand dollars to buy a miner that Jesus. is actually profitable, hundred dollars a day. Something like think think about it in that regard. Um, they might not be the exact numbers. I'm giving you ballpark numbers. Exactly, of course. You spend 40k to buy a miner, and you're making a hundred a day. Yeah, you can you can make your investment back. You can crunch the numbers real quick. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of initial investment. What happens if the price of Bitcoin falls? Mm-hmm. Then whatever reward you're getting just got devalued. Just like right these days. And and you and some people take out loans to buy miners. And so you, you ideally expected Bitcoin to remain at the price it was so that whatever reward you got was enough to pay for the loan at least. But what happens? Oh, the price of Bitcoin drops. Well, now you can't pay back the loan. Mm-hmm. You go. Yeah. The water went back. Like, so when you think about a tsunami, mm-hmm. uh, when a tsunami is coming, um, water just retrieves. And we see it a lot back in Costa Rica. Like when you have like a minor tsunami, like the water just recedes from yeah. the shoreline. Uh-huh. And that's what we're seeing right now. Like before, a big hit, water recedes from the shoreline, and then boom, you have the big, uh, the big wave. tsunami wave. Yeah, Jesus. And so that's that was a saying that I think I don't know who, who exactly said it, but it was thrown around in uh, at the Kasanic. They're like, okay, so when the, when the water starts retre- retreating, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be naked. <laughs> that's that you'll see who's naked now, and and it's so it's I see that the, what we're seeing right now with. Uh, what they call the bear market, the crypto winter we're having right now, all these cryptocurrencies going to shit, yeah. all these NFT projects dying, yeah. getting scammed, getting hacked. Like, oof, there's a hack every week, mm-hmm. even like every couple of days. Like, it's crazy. Like you know, the Axie Infinity hack, you think about the Celo Network hack, the Board Ape Yacht Club hack. Like, there's so many different hacks that are going on, and and some of them are not even like actual like computing hacker like someone hacked a computer and hacked the the network and did all that shit like most of the hacks are just social or psychological hacks what do you mean by that it's like a scam okay yeah but they use blockchain to structure the scam so it kind of looks like a hack like a real thing but it's a scam in essence yeah so you got to be very thoughtful like people asking you to Okay, can I talk to you for a couple of minutes so that we can talk about passive income? Like, bro, shut oh, up. Oh, I've seen those, bro, roaming around campus. There's, there's, there's people like that, and they reach out to you on Twitter, they reach out to you on Instagram when, when they see that your profile has anything to do with cryptocurrency. Yeah. Yeah, I get texts, I get people trying to really scam me. Like, I, now that, because I put it on my socials, like, I put it on my LinkedIn, yeah. and I'm like, okay, so. Web3 venture capital, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. That's what I want to do. And now you got to deal with these people, you know, these scammers, these bots that are coming at you and they want your data. So you now, like for me, it's a whole new experience. Like I need to take care of my user data. Yeah. And previously I didn't think about that, but now I do. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a big area of vulnerability. So I'm, I'm looking at my passwords like, bro. 
Do you do the? You use the same password on all platforms. You know that. Of course, that's what I want, bro. But a lot of a lot of people do that. As consumers, they do it like that. Do you do you uh, use the passwords that uh, Google Chrome or, or Firefox suggest, like with all the different kind Sometimes of numbers? Okay. I do. Sometimes I do, but they're saved on Google. On the browser, yeah. And like, I feel like that's super, super vulnerable. You think that? I feel like it might be. I don't know if it is. I honestly feel like it's not that safe. I still have it there. Mm. I, I mean, me too. Um, and let's we'll talk about it off air. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, let's go back to NTTs, non-transferable tokens. Yes. Tell me about it's it. It's a new token standard that's happening. Um, there's a push for it to be implemented. There's a what? There's a push okay. for it to be implemented. They, they say it's the next big thing. But they also say that about a lot of things. So <laughs> non-transferable tokens or soul-bound tokens basically explore the idea of um, what if I transferred you a token and then it's just permanently in your wallet. It stays there. You can't get it out. You might think, well, why would I want that? You know. Mm. And by the way, you can choose what to accept into your wallet, by the way. It's not like you're just going to get a bunch Anything, of Anything, like a Shiba Inu or something like you're that. You're not going to get a bunch of shit branded into that wallet and then it's just useless. Like That's something they have to not allow people to do. Um, but yeah, so that, that's a concept. Like it's, it's a unique token, like an NFT, right? But it is tied to your wallet hmm. and you can't transfer it. And by transfer, we mean... Um, Doing transactions? Yeah, you can't sell it. You can't get rid of it. It's just. And I can't buy anything with that token too. No, you cannot. It's, so it's just like a trophy sitting it's in my wallet. It's a badge. It's a reward. It's, hmm. Yeah. Well, it's like trying to sell your like, like when you graduate, you get a degree. Yeah. It's like trying to sell that. Like, bro, the blockchain won't let you sell the degree. That thing. Yeah. And so an application that I was interested in thinking about was. Um, accomplishment recognition using non-transferable tokens mm. think about certificates and there's a lot of people that fake their certificates like i can say i can code in solidity i can code in java i can code in java i, I can say that i do that but what certifies it mm. you know because well, what if i just hacked the linkedin <laughs> the linkedin rewards thing you know uh, the linkedin certificate program like you know what what if i cheated on it so recognition of accomplishment is an interesting application for soulbound tokens. I just want to say if somebody hacked the link, LinkedIn rewards or something like that to get a certificate, that guy can definitely code. I mean, maybe, maybe cheating. Che- cheating is a better, yeah. Cheating yeah we'll go with cheating. <laughs> if you can hack it, well then. <laughs> Good luck, bro. Then, right? <laughs> You'll get far in life. <laughs> okay, um, so it yeah. just sits in my wallet. Yeah. A badge of honor, sort of. Yeah, like when they give a soldier a medal of honor, mm, mm. maybe less honorable, of course, not comparable, but it's not like he's going to sell that. Yeah. yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, maybe if times are difficult. Bro, I would never sell that. I mean, bro. Like, like, I would just keep that, bro. Really? Even if you're homeless? Yeah. It's your badge of honor. It's yours. I wouldn't sell that. Okay. But okay. that's just me. You know, that's people that Audience uh, getting to know Andre's integrity right now. <laughs> <laughs> But, but yeah, that's it's interesting when you think about um, academic institutions recognizing coursework mm-hmm. using that because um, their databases are shit. How new they're, is they're, this? They're a mess. 
how new is this entity? Like, did did, did it come out with like with very recent? Last five years? This is very recent. Less than five. This is very recent. So it just popped. Like 2020, I think. Jesus. Talks were starting about it. 2020. Like mm. same with DAOs. DAOs they started in 2016, the first one. Uh, and a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. And this is a collective of individuals that pool money together and through a smart contract on the blockchain they can decide on what to do with that money. I have a question for you now. And so that that's another thing that they say it's the next big thing and it started it reemerged in 2020. Um and it's it's making waves right now. It's really interesting. Do you know the you know like how we have these different kind of company models in America LLCs and yeah. um uh, ink like company in corporations exactly. Yeah. Um do you know about this thing called cooperations? A cooperative? Yeah. A cooperative, yes. Yeah, familiar so. with the actual like benefits or drawbacks. But do you understand like the concept of it? Like how similar my question was like how similar is a cooperative to a DAO or how different is it? I would have to look at the definition. Okay. You can look it up. Look at the definition of a cooperative. Let me look up. That's a nice cooperative. I wish we all had a Jamie in the studio. So I'll be the Jorokan and Jamie is going to look look up the definition. Um so like Google says this. Okay, mutual assistance in working toward a common goal. Business organization joint okay, a farm business or other organization which is owned and run jointly by its members who share the profits or benefits. That's pretty much it. Yeah, that sounds like that. That sounds like that. Co- a cooperative on the blockchain, enforced through the blockchain, Blo- trustless, pretty mm-hmm. much. Because, well, you, h- how do you know who's going to distribute the reward, mm. the earnings? Who does it here? Mm. Probably an intermediary. Probably an escrow yeah. company that's that's coming in and being like, okay, just we'll take in the payments of all of your business activity and we'll distribute equally because they need to have a third party to mm-hmm. ensure trust. We don't. And that's what DAOs change, you know. So, yeah, I know it's an amazing question. I definitely want to look more into cooperatives and what drawbacks they have is we can learn from that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Another that's idea for Andre's thesis. <laughs> there you got a just a part of the next iteration. It's just redoing it again, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, that's it's, it's what a constant process of going back to it and being like, "Wait, I was wrong about this." Okay, now I'm right about this thing, but I'm wrong about this other thing. So, I mean, bro, that's how that's how you learn. That's how you make your arguments har- sharper. You cycle through. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. I remember like talking and listening to a lot of Jordan Peterson and he said the first book that he that he wrote his first ever book he rewrote the entire book 20 or 30 times just to make like each sentence and each line sharper and yeah. sharper and sharper the power of iteration exactly it's, it's part of what what the fund manager at Decasonic always tells me and to me it's just mind blowing uh cuz he's like <laughs> I asked him like you know what when do I know that something is polished enough to show you because he would just give me feedback and he would just find all the holes in what i was saying and boom just destroyed in seconds mm-hmm. <laughs> um but he he told me 
and I'll never forget this quote. So if you can, if you, you want to remember that quote, like it changed my life for sure. This is this is being immortalized right now, bro. They, he said, "Perfection is the enemy of progress." So true. Yeah. So true. So true. Yeah. And and so after that, I was just sending him my half baked. <laughs> 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 not the outcome he wanted. Well, there you go, bro. Now you get to give me more feedback, you know. Now destroy it in milliseconds. <laughs> now you get to destroy it again. <laughs> so, um, but but yeah, no, he's just getting in the spirit of, hey, like it's fine to, it's okay to fail. And then he also he he doubled down on it and he said, you know, like you gotta fail, you gotta fail fast, and you gotta fail often. Hmm. And that's the mindset that I'm adopting right now like fail fast and fail think often. about your previous failures in your life all the different things that you've been through and like what if when you were facing them you would have said i gotta fail fast and fail often to be the best mm. version of myself you know and so shit i'm trying to do that i'm trying to get on that you know? what was the latest fail often fail fast uh, oh with my thesis okay like, i came up with um so my thesis was on these investment collectives, these cooperatives on the chain um, that focus on investing in startups. The DAOs. The DAOs. Mm. Investing in new companies. In the same, pretty much the same way a venture capitalist would do. Uh, and where do they come in? We're like, what's, what can they do and what will they do? What's my prediction? That was the thesis about. Um, and the direction that it initially took is like, I... I looked at the different potential outcomes and I saw that there was a really big outcome that in a big opportunity that could be targeted. And then I, my thinking the first time I did it, I neglected the other opportunities. And I just said, this is the biggest one. We got to focus on this. This is my thesis. This is my prediction, the most optimistic. And that was destroyed. <laughs> that was like I say, well, that's what I would say fail because it was like, how do you know this is going to happen? And, why, why is like I understand your reasoning for how this can play out and your prediction and the numbers, the actual numbers that, that this opportunity represents, like the market size and market potential and the growth rates and all that stuff. Like that's validated and fine, but just how do you know that's going to play out in that optimistic way? Mm. Just because it's the best outcome doesn't mean it will be. Yeah, the outcome. The outcome for sure. So. Well, that was a big learning moment for me. I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I know I'm optimistic, but now my reasoning and thinking is just biased towards, oh, the best outcome is the outcome. Outcome, yeah. And that's not how it is. So now I, I look at them base cases, optimistic and pessimistic, and I try to map my thinking that way. That way. So, so that you, was latest failure. Yeah. So I'm assuming you have already done an iteration of, the, of these two outcomes, best and pessimistic. Yeah, no, I already have okay. version two. <laughs> okay, fantastic. So let's say you have the best outcome, you had the pessimistic, the worst outcome. Uh, so then do you, how do you sort of like try to come at a point where you are, let's say 60% of the show that I have a lot of ground covered in my analysis and now I, I can see things or I can present this? So... Something that they've taught me at, well, at the dorm room fund, which is um, I'm doing a fellowship for them, mm -hmm. which is called the Blueprint Project. They're supporting uh, underrepresented venture investors. And so, well, I'm Latino, you know, and so it's... Latinx? Except, no, Latino. But uh, we get a... <laughs> but uh, we, we do get um, those opportunities and 
it's amazing that they're doing that. And what they taught me is that when you're building a thesis, you got to look at the whole value chain. And so what are the different points where an activity needs to be done that creates value that is needed for the next thing, the next step? Say that again. So we look at the value chain, right? We look at what are the key activities in this chain, okay. the key points in okay. this chain that need to happen so that value is created and that value is used okay. in the next step of the chain. Can you give me an example? So value chain for venture capital, you start with um, fundraising from limited partners. Okay. And so that's, you go to endowment funds, you go to university endowments, and you go to retirement funds, and you're like, Pension okay, funds. so I invest in this technology, and I think it's going to blow up because of this and this and this reason. That's your thesis. Okay. You sell them on your thesis, and then you got to like get commitments from them. And mm -hmm. so there are some key points there as you're fundraising mm -hmm. from LPs. But if you don't fundraise from your limited partners, then how are you going to invest? Mm. Which is the next activity? You got to, well, investing is not the next activity. Sourcing is the next activity. You got to find companies. And so if you don't find companies, how can you give them money? Mm -hmm. Like it, it's just basic. This is, it's, it's basic. Like if you don't do this, then this can't happen. Mm -hmm. um, okay, okay. That's the value chain. G got it. Got yeah. it. Got it. Okay. 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 Interesting. So we find value chain and what, of, of what are the key points of the value chain that can be implemented to the next thing that yeah. creates value? Yeah. Okay. And so as you look at the value chain, you look at the different problems mm. with each point. So for venture capital, we looked at, uh, I looked at limited partner um, fundraising. We looked at sourcing. We looked at screening the mm. deals and mm -hmm. making sure you're getting the ones that you want. And then there's supporting. The, After investment, there's The value add that we were talking mm. about, you're supporting. Mm. And then uh, exit. You got to sell your position. Know the right time. Right time, find the right opportunity and make sure that all the interests are aligned as you're doing that. Mm. Uh, so there's, there's bugs with each one of those. And so you map those, and then you map out um, who's doing what activity in that value chain. Who I does see. that? Um, or what are, another way to look at it is like, what are, what are the different categories of investment firms in blockchain? And then you create a map, hmm. and you get a couple names in there. And you're like, okay, so I think we have the most popular names for this category, most popular for this category. This gives us an understanding of what each one is doing and where they all fit in the puzzle. Um, so you start with that, you map that out. Yeah. And Got then, it. Then you'll see some gaps as you do it. You'll see bugs, you'll see gaps with, with the current establishment, and then you can build a thesis around that. You can build a thesis around what you think mm. about those gaps, those issues. I see. So that's, that's how it typically goes for me. You know, there's some people that might do it Differently, but, Different, but that, that's how you do it. That's how it's working for me, yeah. Mm. And how much time does it take to, let's say, do all of this on average for you? So doing a thesis, the V1 will take me a week. It will take you a week. V2 will take me another week. Yeah. Mm. But it, this is because I'm working part-time. Sure. Part-time on campus here at Illinois Tech. And I'm also helping them with like another project. And so like, they have me very, very split. <laughs> the stuff I'm doing, yes. But, but do you think? But I'm pretty sure you can apply the things that you're doing for uh, uh, Illinois Tech IIT to the uh, venture fund. Oh, we've seen that a lot. 
Mm-hmm. So another thing that we're doing is incubating two concepts yeah. uh, for startups in the Web3 space. At, at um, Kaplan? No, that's Decasana. Venture. Okay. Yeah. And so I've used what I've learned from Kaplan, all the, the different things that you need to watch out for when you're putting together a new business. Mm. So there's a lot, a lot to unpack there. Sure. You know? um, but that's all learnings I had from Kaplan Institute. Yeah. Really, like in, in terms of my own personal journey, like you need to find the next step so that you get to your goal mm-hmm. every single time. You, you try and find the next step. Mm-hmm. What's the next step? So I, I, I started joining a student org here on campus called Intinium, and they were all about entrepreneurship. And then I thought, hey, what's the next step? Oh, the Entrepreneurship Center on campus has this program they're trying to build. Maybe I can help them with that. It's about venture capital. I don't know a lot about venture capital. Let me learn about it. That's the next step. And then after working with them for eight months, I was like, well, what's the next step? What can I do? I found a fellowship uh, called the Gen C Scouts for venture capitalists that are our age. And it was crazy because th- these people, like the vibes were just amazing because they're Gen C, you know, they're, they joke around like we do um, and they think like we do. Mm. You know, it's, it's, very, it's a very different like experience sure. talking to them. And then I, I finished that and I was like, what's the next step? You build up, right? You build up different programs with different reputations. Um, start with Gen C, then I joined the Republic Venture Fellows Program. Um, and now I was lucky enough to join the Dorm Room Funds Blueprint Program, which is, well, Dorm Room Fund to me is like it's a whole new level. Mm. You know? it's, it's an amazing fund. It's, it's the premier student, student investment fund. Um, so baby steps, of course, mm-hmm. you start with baby steps. You, it's like climbing ladders, sure. you know, climbing a ladder. You just got to go for the next one um, with the goal in mind of, okay, I want to be an analyst in this industry and I want to work here Yeah. And because I, I love working there. I love doing this. Well, this is why, this is why I, I hang out with you. I don't know if I've told you this before, because but you what? I hang out with you because <laughs> <laughs> you, you want, I mean, you're not as fun, but, the, <laughs> but you're fucking focused, right? And... That's what I love about you because I think I feel like when I'm with you, I'm also thinking about the 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 things that I want to do, the things I want to get better at, That's finding amazing, my passions and and stuff it's like a, that. It's an honor, bro. Well, if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have like a few more minutes, um, like seven or eight minutes to be approached. What do you want to talk about in the next seven to eight minutes? You tell me. Uh, tell me about the drip, the trip, the thrifting Bro, shit been, that you were talking about. I've been going thrifting. I, I went there yesterday for the first time. Did you go to the one on Halstead or in downtown? Um, I mean, there are many, but I know. It's called Village Thrift something. Okay. What and is it's, it? Uh, just off the Blue Line uh, Western Station. Okay. So it's northwest. Okay. A little bit northwest. Uh, near Logan Square. Near what? Logan Square. Oh, damn, bro, that's far. It's far, but I got some good drip there, bro. Okay. How many, how many outfits did you get? Um, I would have to calculate, like, the different combinations. Like, of, like of some course. math problem. <laughs> but, like, what did you get? Okay, let's so I got a leather jacket. And, like, I, I know that there, there's some people that have the stigma of, like, thrifting. oh, I would never go thrifting. Because, yeah. like, it's, like, dirty clothes. They're used. Like, nah, bro, get out of here with that. Yeah. Like, I, I bought this leather jacket. And this is crazy. Well, of course, everyone listening to this is not seeing the jacket. But look at this. Soon they will. Soon they will. Listen, just touch this shit. This shit is real leather. Okay. Bro, I don't know the difference, so maybe it's not. Oh, you don't feel it when you touch something that's not real leather. Okay. This is real leather. Okay. And 
it's also well i don't know this fucking brand i don't know the, i don't care about the brands it just looked epic and yeah. i was like you know this looks epic and it would probably cost like around a hundred dollars yeah and i got it for 30. hey that's a steal bro money moves right there. <laughs> um, and i needed to get some summer outfits because summer is chicago here. winter is just super cold and i don't have any summer outfits so yeah. um got a pair of black shorts and um got a uh, like a hawaiian t-shirt bro i want that except bro it was it's just the it's just the vibe you had to, we, we could go thrifting okay we'll, we'll go thrifting bro um and so i got that self-care saturdays eh exactly self bro i got a calvin klein shirt really at, at the thrift show for three dollars jesus exactly and it is like a it's like a bottom like button up like beach type of shirt like the type of shit you'd see like bruno mars wearing oh kinda. looking fresh you know that yeah it looks fresh i'll have to cut it up a little bit because it was an xl and I, I don't fit xl i'm True. like a medium but uh yeah you're medium i'm a medium okay. yeah it's a medium fit um i remember when i tried using an oversized fit uh-huh. bro i know some people can make it work yeah honestly for me like i tried to and it wasn't looking good. bro i love oversized t-shirts especially yeah yeah if it works for you you know the thing is like i saw too many k-dramas um and in k-dramas they have this thing about oversized clothing like a korean trend in the a korean trend and in one of the shows that i was watching uh this guy wore an oversized suit <laughs> so his f- shoulders are hanging he looks I mean, in, in my standard, he looks boxy and weird, but that guy was like the confident guy and pulling it off on Wait, screen. Wait, but w- w- was that like IRL or was it like on the show? On the show, on the show. Ah, on the show. Know, it's like those Netflix shows where like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's all story, but if it were in real life, bro... Bro, but that guy's handsome. I think he'll pull it off because he was looking okay on yeah. the show. And if he's going out, he may have makeup and stuff because he's a movie star. Yeah. So I think he'll pull it off. They normally do. Yeah. Are you a fan? What kind of suits do you like? Are you, f- what kind of, are you a fan of, you know, double-breasted suits or, you know, single-breasted suits? Single, I do single-breasted. Um, and throughout the years I've tried like, for weddings, of course. Sure. My sister's weddings. Hey. Um, wear a vest. So really? That was pretty good. Oh, like a three-piece? You, you, you pull? A three-piece. Okay. Yeah, I pull a three-piece suit. Um, that's what I do for the, the more formal ones. For both of the weddings, I oh. wore a three-piece suit. Um, for like, what we had, we had back home, quinceañera parties. Okay. Bro, that was lit. Tell me about it. That was, it's fun because, well, you're 15 years old at the time, 15, 16. Um, and the guys don't normally do it back home. The girls do. Okay. So it's like a girl's party when she turns 15. Um, and oh. it's just a rave. It's just fun. And everyone dresses up super fancy to go there. Yeah. Um, and for that, I would wear like, I wear like, what, what's the name for those? Names? Bro, I, I see what you, I, I understand what you're saying. Suspenders. Uh, okay. I wore suspenders. Yeah. And it was a vibe, honestly. Like, I was the only guy wearing suspenders and they were like, yo, looking <laughs> fresh. And they would just pull the suspender and oh. then just pissed me off so much bro have you done the the wet handkerchief thing yes yes but that's back to my trolling days honestly no bro you you should be a troller till you die (laughs) no not with that bro no bro like you should but but that was with the suspenders um 
but yeah, that's 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 my common sense for it. I I haven't bought suits in a while because just in college you don't really you're not really required to Bro, wear I, suits. I know much. like I went to this person and they're fantastic. Um, I'll I'll give them promotions if they give me sponsorship one day. <laughs> you know, um, and they're also like a young brand, a baby brand, um, and and. I got them, I, I went there for a custom-made suit, fitting. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a three-piece. Um, so, bro, they spent, they really spent time with me. They spent two, three hours with me, uh, getting to know my taste, myself, um, yeah. w- what kind of suits I like. How much was it? Three-piece, uh, $1,000. And if you want to get more fancy with the, there's a word for the inside lining. Uh, you know, like in the this. jacket. Um, oh, like the, the print inside. Yeah, the print inside. There's, there's a word for it. I'm forgetting it. Yeah. Um, uh, something. I'm forgetting for it. So they, they were like even asking me whether I want something custom for that. Bro, that's cool. They, they, they would charge me like maybe 200 or $100 more. That's not cool. But, <laughs> but bro, who, those who can afford it. Yeah. Imagine like, and I, I was, and they were like showing me designs from Africa um, and Irish designs that people yeah. have for, for their like inside linings. And it was fucking weird, bro. And that day I decided once I'm graduating and I have money, I'm buying two custom made suits. Oh no, don't be, no, don't spend your money like that, bro. I've, I've told you this before, bro. Bro, a but I, I think a suit, a suit is a good investment, bro. It, it is, yeah. But, but, but you definitely want quantity so you can remix different parts of it. Have you seen those TikToks or those Instagram videos where they say five suits, 75 outfits? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. So that's, that's what I'm saying, bro. Like, like quantity, I'm, but I wouldn't go for like super expensive branded suits. Maybe custom fit actually sounds good and a couple of K. I think like in Costa Rica it'd be cheaper. Oh yeah, right. Just, you just go there and get it, bro. Mm. It's, it's a lot cheaper. A lot of things are cheaper. Like therapy, I do it on Zoom. Okay. It's great. Yeah, okay. it's great. <laughs> we talk about uh, uh, those who are listening. We're we're slowly moving into Andre's trauma. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, therapy, you can do it over Zoom. Um, and back home, and it, it's cheap. Like, how much would you pay for therapy here in the U.S.? Bro, I don't know because, but I also took therapy, um, and I was, I did the, I did it by this, and I'm promoting them by this organization called Skylight. Yeah. Um, and they have something with IIT, so for IIT students, it's free. Wonder how much it is an hour. Ah. Uh, I just wonder. Bro, sometimes it can get like with even with insurance, you're paying like hundred bucks an hour. Exactly. Sometimes you know how much I pay for my therapy? Uh, let me guess, 20. 20. Right? $20 an hour. Mm. How much is that like in, in Costa Rican currency? 10,000 colones, I think. Cor- coronas? Colones. Colones. Okay. Like Cristobal. Okay, okay, okay. Like Cristobal Colón. Mm. Like Columbus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Columbus. Colones. Okay. <laughs> okay, yeah, now that makes sense. Interesting, bro. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably butching up the exchange rate. It's 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 changed. I'm sure, but like yeah. a rough estimate is it ten thousand. Yeah, mm. so it's, it's ten ten thousand twenty thousand. No, I'm not. It's not a lot. That's really? The, all I know is it's not a lot. Hmm. Yeah. Isn't like a lot of countries in um, 
Latin America and in Central America use US dollars? Some of them. Like the I, ones that are wiser. I, I know Ecuador does it. Wait, Ecuador? Yeah. I didn't know that. I think so. I could be wrong. And there's some that decide to peg the their currency to the dollar, one to one. Hmm. That's what they call dollarizing. And it's very controversial. Some people don't want it. Mm-hmm. The people that are in the private like private business industry, they want it. They need it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be dealing with the local currency with their inflation rates. Yeah. Like the government can make you lose money by just printing whatever they want. And, sure. And like I understand the Fed has like this whole system and they, they're printing. Like, they're so printing. Money. It's not it's not good. Trillions. But the US historically has had controlled inflation rates, but when you look I mean at after World War Two. Yes. And you look at Latin American countries, bro. Inflation rates are crazy. Mm. It's crazy. Because these governments have no regard. They just 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 print more. You know, Venezuela had like thousands of percent, mm. like a thousand percent inflation in a day. Yeah. Like it's it's impossible to just to eat there. People after after that happens, people stop trading with the peso, the currency, whatever they have, the name yeah. of the currency. And they trade with goods mm. because the barter system. Exactly. Something like that. Right? Or they adopt a Bitcoin. And you can look at crypto adoption in Latin America. Venezuela did that, right? Yeah. How's that turning off for them? <laughs> well, you know, you can adopt more than Bitcoin, you know. There's so much other things you can do, you know. Yeah. But crypto adoption in Latin America is so much higher. Like, it's crazy. Like, I was looking at the actual number of people that are crypto users mm-hmm. in Latin America. I think it was like 25 million. And the U.S. had less. Like 24. I mean, bro, India has the most crypto users. Imagine that. I believe that. No, Asia has like the most. Yeah. It's Asia. Imagine that. And like, and but that's lo- because of need. You know, the need gets you to mm-hmm. to using these new things. Because if if you're an American, you have this. You have the dollar. The dollar is like a strong currency, and you mm-hmm. can transact through sell through your bank account. Why would you need to switch? Mm. What's What's the pain point? The CIA. <laughs> I mean, tax evasion could be the pain point, but hey, listen, like evading taxes on crypto is a difficult topic. Oh, it's harder. I don't want to. I don't want to be on record about this. <laughs> I don't know about that. I know you gotta pay, bro. You gotta pay your fair share. You know, mm-hmm. let's give to Caesar what is Caesar's. You know. Okay. The yeah. Jesus said that, bro. Give unto Caesar that which is. Caesar's. I mean, bro, yeah, Caesar's, if Caesar comes after you, you're dead. Bro, Jesus was saying, pay your taxes, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus was wise, bro. Or you can find out. <laughs> you can find out, exactly. Uh, but yeah, that's also something that has um, slowed down my adoption of crypto. Mm-hmm. Because you, you deal with US dollar. I don't want to get in trouble for taxes stuff mm. that hasn't oh. been figured out yet. The regulation is not clear yet on some things. It's a bit blurry. Mm-hmm. And so, if you start earning from a, a DAO, for yeah. example, like is that taxable income? Ooh. In India, they're thinking about it, bro. In India, I think for DAO? for like taxes on cryptocurrency, yeah, they're trying to like and you got to figure out how to do it exactly. But the thing with India is the government also for I don't know I don't know whether they've changed it or not, but the government also was like, because we don't know how to deal with this right now, we'll ban it. So dumb. That's the move. <laughs> I'm not sure whether they have changed it or not. Yeah. Because in India, people got. I could be wrong. Like people got into crypto, like the laymen who weren't like 
the you know regular user or or stuff like that, yeah. or who didn't know much about it, because of this thing called Polygon. Yeah, Matic, the Matic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think token. the Polygon and the Matic token are Indian because an Indian company or, or peop, a group of people that's, created that. That's great. Polygon is a great layer too. Yeah, yeah, and Mark Cuban invested in it. That's mm-hmm. how that's how like India got to know about it. <laughs> yeah, and everybody started like I think investing in that. Okay. So I think that's how a lot of I think millions of people are now. There's a lot of people that don't trust the government. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm not sure whether. It's it's not that, bro. In India, we have a massive trust in our government. Really? Yeah. In India, I mean, it's it's a different society. It's like, I think I've seen this in just in America, yeah. where people are not trustworthy. I've just been in two countries. What am I even talking about? <laughs> that people are not like trustworthy of the government. But it's in Europe, um, let's say Britain. I mean, the guy just resigned, so maybe not the best example of Britain. <laughs> <laughs> but like in some countries, I I know India especially likes their government. They see that because many people see the government as their father or their grandfather. Yeah, you know, it's so like they're a cultural like, thing. Yeah, so. whatever they do, it's for the best kind of thing. But there should be patriotism. Uh, there you go. I think it's nationalism more than patriotism, bro. Interesting. Because patriotism is being critical of your government or everything or critical of even your own country so that it can move to the right path but nationalism is just a blind follow mm-hmm. you know and everything that you're doing is is great and yeah. and your country is the best in the world you know yeah so i think there's a fine distinction that's interesting i think there's a fine and i'm reading about it these days too so i'm trying to like get better at this I don't know. We'll see. You're getting better. Sure. Well, sure, I'm, getting I'm better. Trying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. Well, yeah, I'm no, trying. I, I'll tell you about how um, I was looking at, for one of my theses, mm-hmm. we were looking at why there were such a large number of people that were unbanked in Latin America. Yeah, you, we were talking about this, I remember. Yeah, 400, of a population of 400 million people, half, half are unbanked. I have a question. So when we talk about Latin America, do we just let, because I'm imagining a place, right? A continent. So do I just imagine South America or do I also imagine Central America? You got to imagine Mexico and below. Okay. Yeah. But isn't Mexico North America, bro? No, but Latin America is the ones that speak Latin based languages. Okay. And so it includes, it includes Brazil. Okay. So you got to go down like from Mexico all the way down. That's it. That's Latin America. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, it's a massive market, of course. A lot of people unbanked, but why? That's um, that's a big question. V- uh, poor services. That's poor, one. That's poor accessibility. One. That's one of the reasons. Yeah. Um, and Europe. That's one of the reasons that the world that the World Bank reported on uh, report I was looking at from mm-hmm. 2019. I think it was expensive. Expensive to hold an account. Mm. High fees. Yeah, not enough money mm. to have a bank account. Sure. Um, you look at poor accessibility, lack of trust in the government and the financial system. Why can I say those were like the top four? Mm. And so, and yeah. you're talking about how crypto can solve this issue, and the, and one of the blockchains that have uh, low transfer fees or or non-existent transfer fees exactly can come in to exactly. help the people set up the bank accounts and transact digitally exactly. Yeah, that's the thesis right there. Mm. Blockchain can help 
alleviate that. Yeah. If done right. If done, that's a big if. <laughs> if done right, because we don't want to be that optimistic. The you know? yeah. best outcome is not the most out- likely outcome. Right? Yeah. Best outcome is the least likely outcome. Yeah, I would say that. Right? Because yeah. there's so many room for fuck-ups. I would say that, yeah. But if you're, if you're careful about what can go wrong and you actually outline it yeah. and you actually think about it a lot, then your optimism becomes more grounded. And because you can avoid the, uh, the pitfalls, the mistakes. Yeah, you can, you can restructure your prediction around that. Mm-hmm. Be like, okay, so now that I know this, now we can adjust. Mm. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Is there any company or any sort of fund that is looking into the banking system via cryptocurrency or blockchain in Latin America right now? Oh, yeah, there's so many. Okay. Yeah, there's, I'll give you the example. You have Lightspeed, Lightspeed VCA. I was talking to someone from there um, a couple days ago, and they were talking exactly about this thing. Like, this person built the thesis for investing in Latin America, mm-hmm. like uh, consumer software and crypto. And this person was telling me, and I was asking her as well, like, hey, listen, like, where, where can blockchain come in? And she's like, oh, it's coming in. <laughs> it's <laughs> happening. <laughs> uh, so see Lightspeed Venture Partners, great firm. Um, then you have Sequoia. Yeah. Sequoia. Sequoia? Like legendary early investors in Facebook. Mm. They have, have a lot of investments in Tiger India. Tiger Global. Yeah, India. <laughs> Tiger Global is massive too. Yeah. And then you have A16C with okay. their Latin America fund. Okay. Two. They have two funds now. It's I'm telling you, it's movements happening. They poured in $2.1 billion into Web3 and, well, sorry, into DeFi and crypto. Into what? DeFi and? Decentralized finance and crypto startups in Latin America. $2.1 billion. That's the figure uh-huh. um, in 2021. And Alessandra. Yes. And it went from zero in 2020. Zero. It, it was near zero. It was like, like I have a plot. I, I can send you my thesis, but it's like... It goes from zero to two, two billion in like four years in a year. In a year. What the fuck? Jesus. See, like th- this is the reason why. Like if I want to be an investor, I'll be in in the space where software is scalable. Yeah. Where change is happening really fast, and it's like putting your mouth in a fire hose. Exactly mm. like that. Change is happening fast. Software is super scalable. And there's a lot of opportunity to create value. Mm. That's it's the, com- the combo. And uh, I looked at a lot of sectors to become an investor in. Like a, I, I looked at a bunch of different ones, and I had to decide the one that I felt more comfortable like trying to enter in. Like I'm not an investor yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an you're analyst. a budding. You're a budding investor. A budding. I'm an analyst. Like I'll be an investor if I actually write a check. Yeah. But that's the that's the distinction. Bro, you you'll be there. So, I know you. One of these days, no, but I'm, I'm an analyst now, but you still got to choose like your focus. Mm-hmm, right? So mm-hmm. I looked at those things and I'm like, okay, which one has the most potential? Yeah. Right, right? Like, do I want to work in robotics, for example? What's the potential there? It's physical technology. It doesn't scale like it software scales, does. It scales, bro. I think it scales. But not the same as software. Because it scales. But the underlying the thing is the software, bro. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The, with a robot. Yeah. Robot. Yeah. You can manufacture tons. And you could also apply the software for other things with some fine tweaks. The manufacturer is what I'm talking about. Okay. That's fine. It doesn't scale the same. The software, well, of course it will. The AI part of it will. Yeah. But for AI, it is, I also looked at it and I realized <laughs> that there's a lot of application for enterprise, enterprise business. So you have your AI model. Yeah. 
and you're serving other companies that are serving their users. Yeah. And yeah, and, and the problem with it is that data. Data is a commodity for them. Mm -hmm. like you gotta, where do you find data? And so if, if blockchain gets mass adoption, then well, the data is free now. There you go. Mm -hmm. Anyone can scrape this data and build AI. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. I like that future. Mm -hmm. you know? But nowadays, like big tech companies, they have the data. Yeah. And it they build the models. They have the best models because of that. And that's why they're dominating. The, they're killing it in the mm -hmm. AI space. And can you compete with IBM for their AI offering? Fuck IBM, Google, bro. Google and IBM. <laughs> Even I, I don't think IBM has well, as IBM's much data. They got well. Google has a lot more, of yeah. course. But IBM is also like an interesting player, and the market for AI as a service to other companies. Mm. That's they're they're killing it there. The company bro that I work at or interning at right now, they are trying to do that. They're trying to yeah. make their product an AI product that they can then use internally as well as to their clients mm -hmm. so I, I, I definitely and they see charge it like a subscription maybe like they'll I think they will charge it hourly huh. like how much hours you need the software for I think that will give them more revenue I could be wrong though it's interesting yeah but it's the service model mm-hmm mm -hmm. interesting for that you gotta have the data mm -hmm. you gotta get the data from I had this question that I wanted to talk, um, ask you, bro. What's what's your relationship with money? How do you see money? And if if I go more specific, do you see money as a zero sum game or a positive sum game? Absolutely positive sum. Okay. I would never say like if if I would have said zero sum, it's like I'm a trader. Like I'm <laughs> I'm a trader. I'm trying to extract value from arbitrage right now. Yeah. And we talk a lot about that. Yeah. At the Kasonic. Yeah. Um, the zero-sum mentality versus the positive mm -hmm. sum. And I think I'm a positive-sum mentality. I think that if you create value, then everyone wins. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like it, it's not like you win and the other people can't win. Like That's my relationship with money. If you can create value, everyone wins. I also think that money is just a tool. You don't get too hung up about it, but it's a tool. It, it's a tool for what, according to you? It's a tool to achieve your purpose, your goal. What's your goal? Mm. If your goal is to go get ice cream, <laughs> let's go and get money, right? The money is the vehicle you're using for, well, the train is probably the vehicle you're using there. <laughs> and then the money is the tool you use to get the ice cream, right? If you're trying to, but if you're trying to like have a meaningful relationship with someone, then money doesn't seem a lot like a tool there. <laughs> it's not that useful there, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I absolutely see money as a, as a tool. Like, you just, you just need to have enough of it so that you can get to the next level. Mm. Th that's how I see it. Well, there's people that are like, oh, I want to be a millionaire so bad. Like that one Bruno Mars song. I want to be, yeah. <laughs> be a billionaire so fucking bad. But you got to think about the next step. They got to keep it like, I understand being ambitious and yeah. I had it when I was a kid, I was so ambitious and I realized that ambition is nothing without knowledge. Yeah. That's another one for the books. I read that one somewhere else. But I Virtuous man. Forgot about you, bro. You got you to think about that. But you can be as ambitious as you want, as you want. Yeah. But if you don't know shit, then you, know, you don't know. You it's all talk. Mm -hmm. It's cheap talk, even. Mm. <laughs> like, yo, I, all the kids saying, I want to change the world. It's hard, but achievable. Why don't you change yourself first? 
change yourself, you know? That, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, I wanted to change the world when I was a kid, but now I realized, like, why? Why the fuck do I want to do that? Like, that's, that's something that ends up happening if, if you do the right things, if you act, like, if you're a good person and if you act the right way and if you try to do impact work, it happens, but it shouldn't be your end goal. Your end goal should be to be happy. Like shit, what happened to happiness, you know? I don't know, bro. Under all I don't, this ambition. I don't know if that's a good purpose, happiness. Why not? Because happiness is so momentary. Is it though? Yeah. What, well, what if you could achieve Let's say permanent happiness? That, but that means enlightenment, bro. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. That should be your and, I'm talking about more permanent. I'm not sure. I haven't read enough on it, bro. So I'm not even sure, like, if Buddha was uh, happy. Mm. You know? An interesting question. Because the the essence of Buddhism is that life is a suffering, and you should you you should enjoy the suffering. You know? Okay. I could get behind that. You know? So, I might. Uh, it's not not my mo though. I'm I'm a stoic. But uh, you're a stoic, bro. So stoics stole all the stuff from Buddha. <laughs> exactly. So th- there's some overlap. That's what I'm saying, bro. Stoics. I'm, I'm kidding, bro. I'm not sure. <laughs> don't don't come after me, all the Western people. Uh, this is an Eastern guy talking, <laughs> bro. On that note, um, I'd have to end this. It was fantastic talking to you. It was good being here, bro. I'll call That's you tough. again, bro. If I don't find anybody else, do it again, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen. This was Entree. Especially the ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Especially the ladies. Thank you for tuning in. I'll see you guys later. Bye.